for the What is nothing? Now that's D. What in the fuck are we doing here? That's deep, bro. Deep Row Serious Questions with Silly People. I am your host, Christina P. <laughs> Christina Christina P. I was told to put the emphasis on the different syllable. Uh, Christina P. WNBC. <laughs> Hi, guys. I hope you're well. I hope you're... Uh, well, as I record this, it's Monday. I know you're, the, the week is beginning. I don't know though. In, in the world of stand-up comedians, are it's never there's never a sense of like, ah, oh, this is the beginning of your week. This is the end because you usually work, you know, Thursday through Sunday or whatever the hell. What what the who cares? What am I talking about? Listen, if you're an adult, every day uh, is a day that you got to do shit, right? Is there really in a, is there ever a sense of like ah, <laughs> here's the end to responsibility, and here's the beginning. And no, it's a it's a constant battle. It's a constant, uh, you know, influx of responsibility, punctuated by maybe moments of rest, and uh, and then you're back in it, man. You're back in the grind, back in the grind. Listen, before I start, I want to announce some show dates I am doing. Hiller, first of all, I'm at the Comedy Store. Usually Saturday nights, I do the early show, the eight o'clock show. Um, I usually do the OR and then I pop up to the belly. If you're in town and you're like, I'd love to see a great show, go to the comedy store. It's undergone an amazing transformation. It is the place to be right now in LA. I think every few years, one of the clubs gets an insurgence of like popularity. And right now the comedy store is hot as fuck on any given night. You will see Joe Rogan. You will see Bill Burr. Uh, Chris Rock did a stop in, a, a drop in to practice for what is it, the Emmys? Jerry Seinfeld came and um, Red Band asked him how he wipes sitting up or standing down. And I thought that was the funniest thing ever said at the comedy store. And, you know, hey, look, hits. Everybody's, everybody's going there now. It's the hip spot. So that, and then also, let me see. Oh, okay. Is it fucking April already? Holy cow. April 1 and 2. I'm at Flappers Comedy Club in Burbank. Uh, get your tickets at my website, thousandranch.com, thousandranch.com. The link's there. Also, April 7th, I'm at the Irvine Improv in Irvine, California, 8 o'clock show. April 20th, uh, Ventura Comedy Club, Ventura, California, also 8 p.m. And then May 27th through May 28th. Wait, through. Just May 27th and May 28th, the Comedy Store in La Jolla. You'll notice I do early shows. You guys see that 8 p.m. hour? Well, it's because I have a three-month-old baby, and I can't really stay up late because, well, I wake up at 4 in the morning. I wake up at 6 in the morning. <laughs> I, we sleep again for another couple hours, and then I'm up. So, yeah, I've had to rearrange how I do things just a little bit to make things work. Uh, which brings me to my topic today. I got an email from my homeboy Roger in Brooklyn. We met a few years ago, and uh, he asks about children and creativity 
And it's been like, I read the email a while ago and it's just been stuck in my head because it is, it is a thing, dude. It is a thing. And I, and I want to open the topic up. It's not just children that can hinder, throw a wrench in, uh, generally fuck up your life to the point where you really don't feel like being creative. It can be a divorce. It can be, uh, I don't know, sickness. It can be a death. It can be anything that will uh, make you feel like not doing anything creative ever again. So I'm going to talk about that, bros. Uh, But first, all right, we did the shows. Hey, hey, listen, Amazon, I know you shop on that because you're smart because you listen to this show. Do me a flave. Do me a solid. When you shop on Amazon, all you got to do before you go to that website, you go to thatsdbropodcast.com, click on the banner at the bottom of every post, you'll see like a little Amazon square. Click on that, and then it'll take you straight to Amazon. It's got like a tracking code. And just do your shopping as you normally would. It just kicks back a little tiny chunk of change every time someone buys something. There's no conspiracy here, guys. Listen, mama needs money. Mama needs money. And I think that's it. Is that it? All right. Here we go. Here we go. Yo, here we go. Yo. <laughs> Did you like how I sing? Okay, I'm gonna. I love the breeders. I'm gonna start with the breeders because, well, I'll just tell you the background of this song before I play it. I uh, on the road when I was a road comic, hard fucking core road comic. There are times you don't want to perform. There are times you are so depressed. Uh, you're in some town that is an asshole of the universe. You have eaten such bad food for days on end, and it is Sunday. It is Sunday, the Lord's Day, and you're in a hotel. You're away from your family. You're away from anybody you really know and trust. You've been sitting in this hotel room since about Wednesday night when you flew in. Your hotel room is littered with uh, empty wine bottles, um, cups that you've been microwaving oatmeal in. Maybe if you've got a cool little kitchenette, it's got some spaghetti hardened on the uh, drainer that you've been eating spaghetti with ragu sauce and shaky cheese on, Uh, chicken strip wrappers, whatever other depressing litter that is in your hotel room. And you're not staying in a nice hotel. You know, it's an average. Maybe a Courtyard Marriott, which is fucking huge to a uh, a starting comic. And Well, anyway, it's showtime. It's 7 o'clock. You're getting ready. And God damn it, from the depth of your being there's no way you can entertain people tonight there is nothing funny going on there is nothing bright in your world that will make you want to go out and say the same tired shit you've been saying since thursday night when you did your first show and that's when i play the breeders this one song i swear to god for some reason i play this song and it would always um put me in a right place it would straighten me out and I would be somewhat motivated to be a comedian again. Um, it's funny how that works. Okay, here we go. This is the song. Uh, this is basically the song that took me off the suicide ledge a few times on the road. Okay, it's the breeders. Always the fucking Kim Deal, dude. Come on, Kim Deal. <laughs>
She's got like this cool, it's like a cool girl voice, right? Like it's not, it's not so, it's a little high, but not like, it's not, it's not so high that you're like, oh, she's been molested as a child. It's a little, it's not like dumb Barbie girl high. (laughs) It's really, I just love her voice. Kim Deal. Kim Deal, guys. Everything goes back to Kim Deal. So there we go. That's the song that uh, brought me down from the ledge many, many weekends when I was on the road. Uh, just trying to muster up the fucking anything to be creative that day. That's really what it is, you know, because I think that any, any, in any creative field that you choose to work in, you know, everyone, these glamour industries, um, they're called glamour jobs, right? Like models, whatever, writers, actors, comedians, singers, it all seems really glamorous. And, you know, people are like, well, you lay around all day and then at night you work for like an hour, whoopee. And there's kind of a little bit more to it than that. I mean, that's the image of it. And I'm sure there are some comics that, that can do that. But look, if you want to be good at what you do, it's really not that simple. And there's a lot of, you know, business that goes into being creative. It's, I think, fucking, it's more than a full-time gig. There's no such thing as clocking out. And uh, it's, it's uh, constant. But anyways, let's, let's get into it. There's this email I got from Roger. Super cool dude. I remember you, of course, from Brooklyn. Okay, here we go. I'm a father of two boys, seven and five. Yikes. I don't know how you do it. Everyone talks about all the rote stuff, lack of sleep, hygiene troubles, hygiene troubles, (laughs) to say the least. Holy cow. No one ever talks about how mentally exhausting the whole experience is, especially if you're trying to be the kind of parent that your parents were not. Absolutely, dude. To that end, I wondered if you if you thought about creativity as a topic for the show. The reason I also bring it up in conjunction with the Bitches show, because he wrote earlier that he liked the Bitches Be Lying show, is because of my own experience as a writer. I know that after becoming a parent, it became extremely difficult to have the creative time I enjoyed when I was childless. In fact, it's only now that I feel like I'm emerging from that rut, and you saw how old my kids are. I found that a mental switch occurred after becoming a dad and the times that I would spend just thinking creatively were now spent obsessing over my kids and how I was doing as a parent. Not to mention the time actually writing and the creative process went right out the window. I wonder if you'll experience the same challenge. Hey, at least I'm giving you a heads up. Okay, so yes, right, Absolutely. Uh, hey, let's plug in. For those of you who don't have kids and can give a fuck about kids, because believe me, I was the same person, didn't give a fuck about hearing about people's kids, so I, I sympathize. Uh, yeah, listen, dude. In my opinion, like anything can take away your ability to be creative. Kids are a major wrench because they're time thieves, right? Major time sucks. <laughs> Especially if you're a writer, time is the kind of what you are that's your currency right you spend a lot of time writing and i know people that wake up before their kids to write at like five in the morning or after the kids go to bed i can't imagine having the energy or the strength to do that but anyway yeah absolutely 
Um, now here's the, here's the rub. It's not just kids that can suck your life force from you to the point where you don't want to be creative. It can be a divorce. I've known many a comedian who was ruined by a divorce for quite a while. It can be a death of someone close to you that can just suck away any sort of wanting to do anything. It can be illness um, that can overcome you and, and fuck up your life for quite a while. So, you know, like I said, this email really stuck with me because I think it brings up a broader topic, um, which is to do it anyway, which is to keep going in spite of whatever the fuck it is going on in your life. And, well, I say this because, like, uh, you know, doing stand-up right now for me is very different than it was before. And only because, not only, but one of the major reasons is that I can't remember things. <laughs> That's one of the problems of sleep deprivation and this kid is that I, I don't really remember jokes the way I did. I have a hard time staying up past 8 p.m. at night. <laughs> And my brain just doesn't fire in the same way. Now, having said that, there's benefits to it, okay? Because I, I don't give a fuck. I give, I give so many fucks less than I did before. And what I've found is that the less I am beholden to how I did things in the past and the more I accept that I'm going to forget stuff and I'm going to kind of lean into being imperfect and allowing the imperfections of my performances to, to just going to let it ride, bro. It's gotten a lot easier for me. Um, and oddly enough, I dare say better because I don't have, uh, well, I don't have the time to criticize myself as much as I used to, frankly, with the kid. Uh, I realize that I don't think as much as I used to. And is that really such a bad thing? <laughs> Especially because most of my thoughts were pretty useless, as we talked about in the last episode of That's Deep Bro. Most of the shit your brain says to you isn't that productive. I would say that 90% of the stuff that goes on in my head really doesn't serve me or you or anybody else. It's just me, you know, recycling the same dumb stuff over and over. So to have that space taken up by caring for a living thing is kind of a blessing. A blessing in the skies, as they say. Uh, yeah. And the whole year I was pregnant, I had a puppy that I was raising and that really helped too, to take me out of myself and put emphasis on like, Oh, that, that thing needs to be let out at four in the morning. And, and it stopped making me think about how miserable I was physically being pregnant, you know? So I'm not sure that kids or, or anything are really a hindrance. It just kind of, I mean, look, man, and, and bro, I can't even compare my life to yours five and seven years old I don't even know what that's like I don't know what it's like to have two children I don't know any of this but I can say I can say that historically there have been people that have achieved massively amazing amazing feats of science and art and philosophy and comedy that have had many children um, Phyllis Diller, if you read her book, Like a Lampshade in a Whorehouse, her uh, autobiography, she had, f I believe, five children and a deadbeat husband who she swore the character of Fang was not based on. Yeah, right. Um, and in spite of a deadbeat husband who she had to kind of support financially, and in spite of five kids, she became arguably one of the hugest 
you know, female comics ever. Roseanne Barr, one of my idols, had three children, um, one of which I'm very good friends with. And despite that, managed to achieve levels of success that were amazing and created a sitcom that changed how we saw, um, you know, the traditional sitcom mom. Um, Hey, Frederick Nietzsche, completely fucking insane towards the end of his life, uh, suffered of syphilis and brain hemorrhage and was in, you know, racked with pain um, and had a miserable life, ended up writing some of the most, uh, <laughs> you know, crazy philosophy and stuff that changed the world of philosophy, the world of philosophy um, under tremendous strain and duress. And, you know, and I think the point of this is, you know, it's to act in spite of, to act with what you got going on. You know, and what I've learned as a comedian over the years, it's like, you know, look, man, the, the, the Sunday show, that was always a struggle for me. And sometimes it ended up being the best show that I did all week because I would go into it fucking miserable and not wanting to. And then somewhere channel that misery and that suffering <laughs> into a really killer show because I just carried it with me onto stage um, channeling is what I mean. Sorry. That's the word. Um, but let's start, let's back it up again. We'll go back to channeling in a second. And I think, um, I think what's dangerous about Roger's email and, and what's, what's really a trap that all human beings go through. And I don't think it's just Roger in particular. I think it's the trap of, you know, when I'm childless, I can be creative. When I am, uh, when I'm 30 years old, I can start doing that thing that I've wanted to do. When I am, when I'm divorced, when I am, uh, when I'm married, once I have a kid, I can start living. Once I, you know, I don't know, buy a house, that's when I can start living. Once I graduate from college, that's when I can begin X, Y, and Z. You know, when, uh, when I feel better, I can start doing this project that I've been thinking about for years and years. Um, you know, and, and I think that's, I think that's misguided because I, I, you know, from what I've seen in the world, um, people do things in conjunction with the crapping things that are happening in their lives. Um, Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln was racked with depression, suffered greatly from depression and kind of in spite of that, Durr became the president and put his head on the penny. Duh. You know what I'm saying? You feel me? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, it's kind of like despite not, a, I don't want that one to say that word. Um, cause that sounds like you're fighting with what is wrong or what is happening. It's just kind of like, you know what, dude, there's always going to be a program in the background running. There's never an optimal time in your life to do shit, to be creative, to be, there's always going to be an obstacle. There's always going to be something like, I remember being really poor, uh, in about 2007, really poor and really scared. Cause I was transitioning into becoming a full-time feature act. Uh, and that's an existence where you don't know if you will be working that week. You don't know how you're going to get your money and you make maybe like 350 bucks a week. No lie. 
Maybe you clear that. <laughs> uh, and there were nights where I would just lay awake panicked. How the fuck am I going to do this? And I remember thinking to myself, how am I supposed to be creative in this time? How am I supposed to be creative when my very day-to-day existence is in peril? You know, like how the fuck do you write jokes when you're so panicked about eating, paying the rent? Will I work again? All these thoughts. And and that was kind of like the training for me because I went, wait a minute, what if what if instead of seeing joke writing or writing or whatever it is you do as needing to have optimal optimal circumstance to access, like what if I could find a way to channel this anxiety and this horribleness into what I do already? And what would that do creatively for me? And it was right around that time that I, I don't know, was I was eating more than I usually did. Yes, I was starting to get fat. And, uh, and I, I just thought one day, like, oh, I'm so fucking fat. This is such a stupid example. And I would, I used to bring my belly out on stage and wiggle it around and it became like the, the thing that people really enjoyed. And I was like, oh, that's funny. And that came from the deepest, the deepest, darkest place in me, the, the most hateful part of me, <laughs> my most self-loathing is what generated sometimes the coolest stuff. And even now to this day, I don't. If I'm happy and stuff is going right, and I don't write or create good things, really. It's not until I am, I have to access the dark side of the forest, and that's just me. I don't know. Maybe that's something wrong. Hold on. I'm hearing a scratching sound, and it sounds like my little dog is trying to claw her way out of her crate. Hold on. All right. Found out what it was. It's actually the gas company um, changing out our meter. It sounded like an animal squirreling, you know? I was like, what the fuck are you doing? What are you doing to my house? You better get your life. All right, so where were we? Okay, there's never an optimal time. Uh, there's never perfect circumstances. And in fact, I dare say, the more horrible my life has been, uh, the more it forced me to access parts that I would normally overlook. Um, it was in the dark stuff that I always, always had a better time with and maybe because that's I'm more centered when I'm a, a little dark um I don't know that's just me dude maybe for you it's when you're happy and so maybe you should uh strive to be happy before you sit down and write and also Roger dude I hear you look I used to sit down for hours every morning and write but what I found is uh hey there's a nice window in the morning where my baby loves to chill with me and now I sit him in his little seat, I have my coffee, and I write. But instead of having two hours, you know, I can sneak 30 minutes here, 30 minutes there. And, you know, there's a lot of time uh, in between stuff. My kid sleeps on me a lot, so that's when I can think about jokes, and I'll have my phone with me, and I'll write them down. It's like there's, there's moments where you actually do have time that don't feel that way. Driving's great. I don't know. For me, my brain's always been like a secret playground that, I mean, that's being an only child, that it's always somewhere I can go. You know, I don't listen to a lot of stuff most people say to me because I'm already thinking it. <laughs> thinking, there's a party in my head, bro. I don't know. So, yes, uh, there there is no time. And you, the greatest people in our history have done things in conjunction with depression, in conjunction, in in addition to children, in addition to physical um, 
ailments like Nietzsche. And also, hey, man, there is a guy I knew. I mean, there, there are people that have achieved amazing things. There's this guy, Mike Maliani, who I used to work for at Deke Entertainment, now defunct. This guy was dyslexic, uh, failed out of school, and didn't make it, I don't think, through high school, and couldn't read, just, you know, didn't, didn't, couldn't do it, and instead took up drawing and ended up working at Hanna-Barbera and was a great artist and eventually became the head of Deke, D-I-C, or the second guy up or whatever the fuck. But basically, Mike Maliani, one of my heroes, this guy couldn't write an email to save his life, but did he have to? No. <laughs> That's the best word because he worked in animation. He didn't have to do that stuff. He found a way to work with his strength, with and uh, in spite of whatever the hell it was that um, that he had going on. And also, too, I, I think there's a myth of uh, of genius. I think, you know, um, I was listening to this great interview on the Howard Stern Show. This musician, he said, uh, look, I'm not a genius. I just have to work really hard. And I wish I could remember the musician's name because it was so cool. And I thought, yeah. And, and, and really, I don't know any... The, the comics that I've always thought were genius level were amazing comedians worked really, really hard. The, the dudes, the girls that you think are amazingly funny spend a lot of time doing what they do. If you, Bill Burr, I know works tirelessly. David Letterman would come home and watch his tape and hate himself and want to make it perfect. I know David Tell. Uh, writes, rewrites, records, listens to Joe Rogan, same thing, sits down every day, nurtures the ideas, writes, rewrites. My husband, Tom Segura, one of the funniest people on the fucking planet, uh, I watch his process and I watch how he is vigilant and tireless. And it's, look, genius, I don't know. There there are many, I don't know, maybe no bona fide, I don't know, uh, genius, but I do know that that hard work is some kind of, uh, it's definitely a corollary. <laughs> it's definitely related to this myth of genius. Um, yeah. And even the, the quote genius comedians that, that hit really young. Like if you look at Eddie Murphy, I think who is a goddamn genius was, I don't know now, but I mean, look, he recorded delirious when he was what, 20, 21 years old. And, uh, and Bill Hicks, man, that guy was a genius, but you look back and they started when they were 14, Bill Hicks started stand up when he was, um, yeah, I think 13 is the, the first tape they have of him. You know, he went into a comedy club and did a set 13. So by the time you're 20, you've already got seven years under your belt. So the, the, the genius myth of, well, I don't have to work at it. I'm just special. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe there's a handful of people. Definitely. I'm sure Mozart, you know, at some, like five years old was writing music and blowing people's minds. But, uh, you know, for the rest of us, it's a process and creativity. I don't, I think is the same as any other muscle. It's, it is not, uh, I think that's the illusion of, of creativity. Excuse me, that it just comes down from the ethers and like, Oh, look at that. you know, you just came up with that right now. Like maybe, yeah, sometimes maybe for some, but for most, I know that it's a, it's a, it's a thing to nurture, you know, like it's a muscle like everything else. You, there's a process and a way that you go about things to access the good stuff. And sometimes shit I think does come to you in a flash where you go, Oh, that would be great. And you try it. And like, yes, that for some reason 
that. And then there are other bits that you work at and you work at and you work at. Maybe you still don't get it. And then a year later, you figure out how to do it because you, you've had time to, to work it out. But it's a, creativity, I think, is a force to be respected and nurtured. And uh, it's a thing where you can't ignore your impulses or your persistent thoughts. Meaning there are things that I just have never said on stage that like I think about constantly and obsess over. And I'm like, why the fuck am I just not saying this? Because the other half of my brain goes, oh, because nobody would like that. That's not good enough. You're not good. And all the horrible (laughs) self-talk, all that horrible chatter that enters your brain. um, You know, and that's, I think, really the big hindrance to creativity is the, 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 the second thought that tells you it's not good enough. You don't have the time. Ah, but you have to be a perfect father, Roger. You don't have time to be a writer. You don't want your kids to end up like you, do you, Roger? You want to be perfect. And it's the, it's the perfectionism bug too, right? That steps in and tells you, ah, but you've got to do this perfectly. And if you're, if you're spending all your time making your kids perfect, you won't have time to do the other stuff. You know, and I've had to let go of, uh, of being perfect with my son, with Ellis. I've had to let go and just realize... <sighs> You know, for instance, they send you all these fucking newsletters. At least I signed up for these when I was pregnant. Every week they send you an update. Your baby this week is these developmental milestones. Ba 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 ba. And you're like, all right. So, and then it tells you how to play with your kid to foster these developmental milestones. This week your kid can see patterns. So you need to jingle, you know, fucking pattern things in front of him to stimulate their eye. Like, oh my God. I mean, you got to be kidding me. And I found myself doing it in the beginning. Well, I've got to stimulate his eyesight because, well, you can see patterns this week and I don't want my kid to grow up not seeing uh, perfect patterns. And then you realize like, you know what, man, my kid gets a thrill out of staring at the dog. My kid gets a thrill just sitting in his little bouncy seat and watching me cook. And he's probably, you know, just checking that out. And, and sometimes it's good for kids just to sit and fucking think. Let, let the kid just sit. Sid, shut the fuck up. Do you have to stimulate the kid every two seconds, you know? God damn, whatever happened to just sitting and thinking in your own fucking thoughts? That's why this poor generation, this poor overparented helicopter parent generation, these poor kids don't have time to take a shit without their parents uh, watching over them, scheduling playtime, scheduling shit time. Dear God, monitoring, monitoring how they play. My friend uh, Mary Lynn has a kid and she told me one time the school calls her to tell her about how her kid was playing what what games he was playing and how they didn't approve of the games i thought if my fucking if my school calls me to ever tell me how my kid's playing this way or that way i'm gonna tell them to go fuck themselves and hang up on them it's retarded i don't know why what do you care what do you care if my kid's not hurting anybody what do you care but when we got to monitor kids right we got to fucking make them perfect anyways <laughs> it's a force man creativity is a muscle like anything else a lot of people will be like oh tiger woods was a genius golfer yeah he also worked tirelessly um that guy started golfing at four right under his dad's tutelage and yeah there you go and i'm sure he didn't have a perfect childhood um and nobody does everyone's got a story and don't think you're exempt or special because you're not <laughs> you know and and success uh, being creative it happens in spite of your life, not because of it in most cases. I think everything you do is in spite of never, uh, I don't know, 
not not because of now. I don't know. Anyway, there's a few good books if you're wondering how to harness your creative juices, how to get going. It's it's this ubiquitous process. It's really personal. I don't think anybody has the same thing. So there's a book that I read many, many years ago that really helped me called The Artist's Way. And it's a pretty thick, chunky book. And it's a workbook that actually helps you, you know, uh, actual skills, like how to do this stuff. Um, and, uh, sorry, my manager just uh, texted me a picture of fan art that she (laughs) received. (laughs) One of them is a wooden etching of Hitler from your mom's house. We're on a, we're on a, Hey Hitler tear right now. And some guy, some guy I know who did it as, uh, he sent me a nice little wooden etching of Hitler. Okay. Maybe not put that one up in the studio, but it's, it's funny nonetheless. Okay. The artist's way. There you go. The artist's way. Um, you know, they encourage you to do things like morning pages. That book will tell you, which I think is a great way to figure out what your voice is. Some of you might be like, I don't know what my voice is. You're not going to know, I think, at least in comedy for a good seven or eight years. Um, but morning pages are this wonderful thing where you wake up and I still do this today. That's why I write in the morning, wake up and the stream of consciousness writing. You just take five pages, one page, whatever it is, and kind of write whatever it is in your mind that's in there. And you'll notice trends over time. You'll notice that you tend to obsess over certain topics and this and that, and that's kind of where you, where your voice might be, I think. Uh, great book, great book, great book. Also, you know what happened this past weekend? I was uh, at the store, a comedy store, and I was, uh, you know, like, I don't want to fucking perform I don't want to do this. And uh, I was watching other comedians. I was just sitting in the back. I was watching Kirk Fox. I was watching Joe Rogan. I was watching um, Dom Herrera and all these fun people who I love. And it got me inspired, you know, where you're like, okay, maybe I do want to be a stand-up tonight. (laughs) And that's what I think, like channeling someone else's energy or like with, with the breeders, I channel the energy of Kim Deal. For some reason, that song puts me in a place that I can do shit in. And I think that's a huge thing when you're not feeling it. Maybe channel the energy of, of people that inspire you, or things that inspire you. That tends to help, right? That tends to help. Uh, channeling energy is different than stealing. Do not steal people's shit. <laughs> but there's an energy that you can kind of siphon if, it's not, if you're not generating it yourself that day. You can siphon just a little bit. Just a little bit to help jumpstart yours, but do not take their shit, obviously. Okay, channeling energy. We talked about that. Oh, yeah, so here's the thing. I was I wrote down, because, yeah, my kid has hindered uh, some of the stuff I used to do. It has changed how I do comedy. It's changed how I live my life. It's changed how I sleep, how I eat, how I shit, how I do Everything. And here's some stuff that I've learned from having a three-month-old so far, which I think it's, uh, it's changed me in ways. Okay, here we go. Things I've learned from my son, Ellis, who is three months old. I have learned to slow down because baby time is its own thing. It is its own thing, and you can't hurry a baby. You know, it's for instance, if I'm uh, doing something else, and I'm in the world of normal people. And then I come to my son and I want to feed him or hold him. My energy is significantly different then. And I have to take a breath and get down to baby time. Because baby time is, they're very in the moment dudes, you know. They're, uh, 
their priorities are eating and pooping and kind of watching and just being. And it's kind of a Zen cool thing. So you, you learn to slow it down, to take it, to take it there. And it's very peaceful. Baby time is a very pace, a peaceful pace. I can see why people like babies now because they're just fucking chill. You know, they're just, they're just existing. They're, they're tiny little Buddhas and they just, you know, yeah. Anyway, nothing is as important as you think it is. I'll tell you that I look back now and I'm like, what the hell was I doing? Uh, I would say that 90% of the shit I did was a total waste of time. I don't know what I did before. I mean, I had so much free time. I should have just been in Bali surfing for the last 38 years. And instead, I filled my days with brunches and um, crate and barrel trips and uh, internet surfing. Oh, the hours I would spend just looking at uh, articles on the web. The top... 12 celebrities whose bodies bounce back. Like, I mean, when I find myself doing that now, I have to be like, what are you doing? You're wasting your time. So I really learned how to prioritize (laughs) because, man, I wasted so much of my time. And now um, I don't have a lot of it. So when I do have it, I really get shit done, bros. Like, Man, you know, I don't know why they discriminate against moms in the workplace, but you want to get shit done, hire a mom because we fucking know how to get things done in a way shorter time than most people. I don't know what the fuck people do all day, eight, 10 hours at work. Listen, you know it. I know it. Maybe the first four hours a day you do stuff and then you zone out for the next four. I know. I know. And after lunch, that's another hour of surfing the net. When you come in, that's an hour of checking your email, surfing the net. Listen, don't try to pull one over on me. I know that I did the same shit. Moms, moms could fucking rule the world. They know the value of five free minutes, boy. You do, you do shit quick. Ten, give me 10 minutes. I can clean the whole house, do all the dishes, uh, do all the kids laundry, fold it, let the dogs out, feed them. Uh, change the sheets on the bed. You know what I mean? Give me 10 minutes, bro. I got it down. Solve the world's problems. Write a stand-up set. I got it. Um, I've also learned how to show up completely, which is another addendum to this. Showing up completely. What I mean by that is this little baby knows when I'm holding him and I am not paying attention. <laughs> he knows when I'm looking at my iPhone and not paying attention to him because they'll make sounds. Eh, pay attention to me. He knows. And I think, well, how much other stuff have I been doing kind of half-assedly, kind of not showing up completely? And that's another part to, uh, to creativity is how much of that time when you sit down to actually write stuff or actually do things on your computer, how much of your time are you really spending doing it? <laughs> or are you... Uh, looking at emails, surfing the web, jerking your dick. You know what I'm saying. A lot of us sit down and it's a fucking jerk fest. You're not really doing your work. You're not showing up completely. Um, Yeah, I know that I wasted a lot of time on that, but also being 100% engaged in whatever it is you're doing. And if you watch, look, my only frame of reference is comedy or music even. If you watch the artists that you love, they're 100% 
in it. They're they're so immersed in the moment of what they're creating. They're not. Th- I mean, I, at least from what I can tell, they're not thinking about. Oh shit! I gotta go home. I gotta let the dogs out. The fucking dogs are gonna gotta eat. I gotta set up the vet. I gotta make an appointment. Get my hair done. Like no, all that stuff runs in the background, but it's put aside to uh, to be to do what the hell you gotta do. I've also learned from my three month old that a good meal and a nap are priceless. That's kind of it, you know. What else is there? I mean, I would put alcohol in here too and taking shits, but I think a good meal and a nap, (sighs) fuck, you know, if you're bummed out and if you're really depressed, sometimes all you need is a nap to set you straight. I've I've seen it, you know, and and a nap really is, you know what? I can't take this shit anymore. I got, I got to shut down for a little bit. Like you're so overwhelmed that you got to shut down and you do a meal first and then a nap? Come on now. There's nothing better than that. I've also learned uh, to ask for what you want loudly and clearly. Babies do that frequently, all day, every day. They ask for exactly what it is they want, and they ask for it very clearly. And when you don't give it to them, they get even louder. And uh, that's a great metaphor <laughs> for everything in life. <laughs> like... Are you asking for what you want clearly? Just be clear in your language. And if not, shout that shit a little bit louder, dude. I mean, I've had to do it before and it kind of works. It's a great, great lesson. Um, a dirty diaper shouldn't rattle your cage. My kid can sit in his own filth for really long. I got lucky that way. He doesn't cry over a pee-pee die-die or a dirty die-die. The kid just sits in it. And I'll be like, oh my God, did you... Why don't you say something? Like he's really, he's just chilling. And you got to realize, like, oh, this kid can really roll with the punches, you know? Like, yeah, doesn't phase him. He's just sitting his own shit for longer than he should, but, yeah, big deal. And I really like that. It's a really philosophical, deep bro kind of thing, right? <laughs> yeah, so what? I got a dirty diaper. I'm just going to keep going, right? I'm going to create stuff despite my dirty die day. Personal space is good. Sometimes my kid does not want me to hold him. Sometimes he needs to be in his own little bouncy chair. And I think that goes with all relationships. Sometimes you don't want to be with somebody. You want to be alone. And that's fine. That's great. God, being alone is tremendous. Uh, There are times with my husband. I know. I see it. He He needs to be on his computer. He needs to do his bare things. And I let him. You got to let people do their thing, right? Personal space is key. Uh, Laugh. Kid laughs at stuff freely. Kids laugh, man. They laugh. They don't think about it. They just laugh. And I realize my uh, son likes really base comedy, okay? Mom and dad don't make him laugh. Put it that way. He likes, I don't know. He likes real big things, animated. Uh, Yeah, stop phoning it in. Wow. That's, oh, did I learn that from my kid? That might be another thing. Well, anyways, there you go. That's what I'm thinking about this week anyways. I just realized maybe I've been phoning it in a little bit with stand-up. And then I was like, oh, I like this stuff. I enjoy this stuff. And also to be where you're at, Roger and everybody else, just be where you're at. Listen, you're at the place in your life where you got two kids that suck your soul and you don't have time to write. And maybe that's a 
kind of a neat thing creatively. Maybe that means that you restructure your life. Maybe you hire a sitter for an hour or two, I don't know, a week so that you can sit down. Maybe you pawn those kids off on grandma and grandpa for a few hours and you do your shit. Like right now, my husband's watching our kids so that I can sit here and ramble to you. Does he like it? I don't know. I don't care. That's what I'm doing. (laughs) That's his problem. (laughs) There's always ways. There's always solutions. I think the the devil here is the perfectionism of, yeah, but if I give my kids to the, the grandparents for a couple of hours, my kids will think I'm neglecting them and I won't be the perfect dad. You're not going to be the perfect dad and you're not going to fuck up your kids. Trust me. If you're worried about fucking up your kids, you're not going to fuck up your kids. Just the fact that you have that thought of, oh my God, am I ruining them? Trust me, you're not. People that ruin their kids don't even have the thought of, am I ruining this? They don't care. That's why their kids suck and that's why they suck. Yeah. I can't believe so many dumb people have so many kids. I was thinking about this last night that the dumbest motherfuckers are the ones that have so many, like these Duggar people. Just multiple, 20 kids, 19. It's the people that care the least that have the most children. And, and, and the people that give a shit, they don't have 10, 20 kids. Because <laughs> we know we actually have to pay attention to them and care for them. And that takes a lot of energy. <laughs> oh, and another thing. I should have had kids younger. I thought that if I delayed it, if I started my career first and then did it, uh, you know, it would be better. But the truth is, I should have had it at like 20 because by now my kid will be more grown. Jesus Christ. Right? Yeah. Wow. And now is a great time actually to to start doing things. Your 30s, right? Your late 30s is when you're a real person. And, and that is actually a good time to be in the workforce, to be doing things. Yeah. Eh. What do you know? But I was worried, right? That the kid would hinder my ability to be a comedian. And, and look, in some ways it just changes how you do things. And I focus my energy other places. And is it really so bad that I'm not on the road anymore? Is it really so bad that I'm not in a hotel room on a Sunday looking at empty bottles of wine and containers of pudding and shaky cheese and thinking to myself, what have I done with my fucking life? What have I done? No, it's not so bad. This is much better for me. There's trade-offs in everything. There's trade-offs. And you got to work with what you got and there's no perfect time. There's no perfect circumstances. You just got to work through your debilitating depression like Abraham Lincoln. (laughs) Work through it, man. That's all you can do is work through it and use it and channel that shit. Channel the suffering. That's what they all did, all the greats, right? All the greatest stuff has been deeply personal and, uh, and has channeled. That's why they say write what you know. Write what you know. Look at Bukowski, one of my favorite writers, that guy. Crippling, crippling depression, alcoholism, hated his day job. Bukowski worked in a post office. Uh, was it? A, was he nocturnal? I think. Yeah, yeah. He was more or less. No, he worked in the, as a postman during the day, and then stayed up drinking and writing all night long. And by the way, even when he did kind of quote make it uh, and was making money, was still working at the post office. It's not like you know that first book hit and that guy quit. Like it took a minute. Um, and, uh, yeah, those are his own demons that he was fighting. Nonetheless, in spite of, in, in conjunction with whatever debilitating stuff you got going on. Um, yeah, 
I remember I went to Montreal Comedy Festival this last year. I don't know if I told you this one. But the minute I landed in Montreal, I found out my mother died. And uh, like literally the minute my feet touched Canadian soil, they go, uh, my, my husband told me your mom died. And I started laughing like, okay, that's funny. Where are we going to go for dinner? You know, I thought he was joking with me. Um, and I remember thinking like, oh, God, what do I do? Like, and for those of you who don't know, I, I had a very, I did not have a normal relationship with my mother. We hadn't spoken in almost a decade. So she was mentally ill. And it's not like a normal thing. So don't think like, oh my God, what a monster. You know, <laughs> like this woman didn't care for her mother. That's nah, different. Um, but I had a couple of choices. I could pack up and leave this festival with all my friends, my husband, and come home and sit alone and deal with her death. Or I could just fucking tell jokes for a few days, come home and deal with her death. Um, and that's what I did. I stayed and I told some jokes. I took obviously some time down. <laughs> I took a minute. <laughs> but I remember, you know, uh, telling jokes in the pain of my mother's death, in the, the weirdness of that, was kind of good because, look, I was amongst friends. All my friends were up there, so it kind of distracted me. And uh, when you find out somebody dies, there's a moment of denial. You're already, it took a while for me to really realize what had happened. And it was kind of a good thing to be in denial and do the things that I uh, enjoyed doing. And I found that I told jokes a little differently that week in a good way because, you, you know, you channel the sadness into whatever it is on stage uh, and it brings a little more honesty, a little more depth, a little whatever, whatever. And uh, yeah, I know, I know. So some people, I was kind of like, gosh, I, t- I didn't tell people what had happened. Only if like a handful of people knew that week. And I think it was kind of better that way. Uh, I don't want people to be like, oh, poor Christina, blah, blah, blah. And then I have to explain to them, well, my mom was crazy. Don't worry about it. But uh, yeah, I think, I think that was a good decision. And even now, I, I always, I still, I still persist. I still create when things are bad. Not when I'm feeling shitty, but no, that's not true. Even when I was sitting um, in the nursery at 4 a.m. postpartum crying, I would still write jokes <laughs> because what else am I going to do? It helps. It oddly helps. It oddly helps. Um, so there you go, guys. Listen, I hope you find your muse this week. Find your spirit animal. Find your fucking the thing that lifts you just a step higher. Because I know when you're in it, Roger and whoever else, and you're like, I can't do this. I can't create. Uh, find your uh, guideposts. The people that go that that have done it in spite of. Um, uh, again, for me, it's Phyllis Diller. It's Roseanne. It's you know, whenever I think I can't do this, I can't. How can I, I have this kid or I have this thing? I always think of uh, Phyllis Diller, Roseanne. I think of Nietzsche, and I think of uh, Abraham Lincoln, because <laughs> they all did shit despite. <laughs> yeah. So, what's the theme of this podcast? Stop being a pussy and just fucking do it. Right? Like that meme on the internet. Just follow your dreams. Stop being a crybaby pussy or something like that. Pretty fucking good. Yeah. Suck it up, soldier. Suck it up and move the fuck on. There you go. That's been deep, bro. Uh, I hope you have a fantastic week. I hope you find your inspiration, you find your muse, and you stick with her. She can be a fickle bitch. Yeah, and even create when you're not feeling it. Can I tell you? Even on the days where I'm not feeling inspired by anything, just write something down. Just write anything down on a piece of paper. 
even if it's I'm so fucking uninspired. <laughs> and you know when I found that? When you're totally locked and you're like, nothing's coming, nothing's coming. Stop beating yourself. Stop it. Stop flogging yourself and go outside. Go for a walk. Go eat ice cream. Go eat a cupcake. Go pet a dog. Go hang out with friends. That means you're not, you just stop. Just stop yourself. You can't force it. Yeah. All right, bros. Um, yeah. Have a great week. Do your thing and stuff like that. And uh, I'll see you next week. And until then, that's been deep, bros. Now what? I don't know. Philosophize with Philosophize with Christina P, a.k.a. Miss Jeans This ain't your mom's house It's a different theme Gotta be critically thinking Like you caught up at a cocktail party Our thoughts start to sink in John Locke, or was it Socrates? Aristotle or Plato, maybe Hippocrates Got us talking all properly, topically Just a comedian discussing these philosophies Serious questions, silly people What's that? That's deep, bro it is the ultimate metaphor for life, and you know what that is? What? That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro.